if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. As we hope to look together on the details and the doctrinal emphasis as well as the documentation of the resurrection of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, now read from verse 1 to 10, where we'll spend our time together this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a, a glorious text to look at and to meditate upon. We are indeed debtors to mercy alone and as a result, we can struggle with understanding the text. We do want to pray that your Holy Spirit may guide us and convict us, and that, oh God, you may speak to us where you desire to speak to us. And, oh God, convict our hearts such that we are given assurance of salvation because of the resurrection of Christ, not of our own works. We pray that this may help us to look outward and not inward. To not look at ourselves, but to look to Christ, to look at the sacrifice on the mountain of skulls, but also the death and the burial and the resurrection. May we be refreshed anew, encouraged anew, those of us who know Christ, 
I pray that today will be like morning for those who do not know you. Oh, call them to yourself. Call them to yourself. May they hear your voice and your voice only as the scriptures are expounded. I pray, O oh Heavenly Father, that you may enable me to be clear and help my audience to not wonder. Help me not to wonder. Stick to the text. I pray that you may bless this word because it is written, no word will return to you void, but it will accomplish its purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, all of us here have lost plenty of loved ones. We don't know when our time will come. And for all of us in here today, we have not tasted death, but it is ever lingering and ever looming. What I want to draw attention to today by way of question would be, has anyone you know ever come back to life who has died and greeted you? Have you beheld them, your dead uncles, your dead aunties? I lost my mom. She has never come to me from the grave and visited me. In our own grave sites in Zimbabwe, they actually put cement to seal the grave shut such that no one is to come out and no one is to go in. But what we are about to see in this text of scripture is that the only man in history who ever defeated death rose again from the tomb and it was burst open and he met his disciples he spoke to the women Matthew is writing to Jews gospel according to Matthew main audience is Jews and is interested in the much awaited Messiah who was not to rule as a political leader, but as one who would rule in the people's hearts. Jesus' life, sermon, the great sermon on the mount, miracles and interactions with the teachers of the law and sinners is well documented in these 28 chapters. And we see that the text that we're looking at today is sandwiched between his death which happens in chapter 27 and the latter part of chapter 28 is the great commission well without further delay let us look at the text together i want us to see three things from the resurrection of the lord jesus christ first of all i want us to see its details from verse 1 to 4 and verse 5 to 7 will, will cover the doctrinal emphasis the doctrinal emphasis and then verse uh, 8 to 10 we will look at its documentation that it was well 
document. Let us read from verse 1 to 4 together and look at the details of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. I want us to observe firstly in the detail the phrase after the Sabbath towards the dawn of the first week. This means that this was a Sunday which we now call the Lord's Day or the Lord's Day or the, or the first day of the week. We observe that the resurrection occurred on a Sunday. Hence R.C. Sproul would comment that Christ's resurrection is celebrated not on annual basis or only on Easter Sunday, but every Lord's Day. Every Sunday when we gather together as a church, we are proclaiming, we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And it is at this very moment, dear friends, that those who have had problems with the Sabbath will get help. They'll get help because the people will come and say, well, pastor, you know, the Sabbath is the seventh day. Why do you meet on a Sunday? This is exactly why we do. And the confession actually helps us when it says that the Sunday, the Lord's Day, is now the Christian Sabbath. This was because of the resurrection of Christ. It was the new dawn. This is when new covenant people of God meet together on the first day of the week. So if you've got any problems, I'm sure they've now been ironed out. The new covenant people of God no longer gather on a Saturday. They gather on the first day of the week. Another thing that we need to also make clear is that if we don't make it a priority to gather with the Lord's people regularly on the Lord's day, we will either lack an understanding of the local church, we will lack an understanding of the resurrection or Christianity together. And now I beseech you to choose where you fall into today will you be one who disregards the resurrection and doesn't gather with other believers or will you now commit yourself to celebrate every Lord's day the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ we also note in the text that in verse 1 Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And and according to Mark, the gospel account of Mark, there was Mary the mother of James and Salome as well, who went to see the tomb. And we see that the other gospel writers tell us that the women 
had the intention of going to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. And we know from the gospel accounts, in fact, all four gospel accounts record that the body of Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man. The women were intending to give their savior a worthy send-off. So they sought to do this while it was dark. They went on the door. They did not want to be seen to say they're going to their savior to anoint his body with spices. To give him a, a fitting sending off. In fact, do you see also how to some degree they were weak and unbelieving? They, they, they were going to anoint the body of one who said he would ri- raise himself from the dead. See, in verse 2, as we see the details, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. There was an earthquake. And the earthquake, much like the crucifixion, also came at the resurrection to signify that the Savior had arisen. This was no ordinary moment. Even as John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, commented, it was proper that the women should be allowed to expect nothing human or earthly, but to raise their minds to a work of God which was new and surpassed the great expectations of man. Some commentators say this was the angel Gabriel. Nonetheless, it was the angel of the Lord. Angels are unique in that they dwell in the very courts of heaven. Just as an angel foretold Christ's birth, so it was fitting for it to announce his resurrection to the women. You see that there was an angel that came to foretell the birth of Christ. Then an angel came again to tell of his resurrection. There was an earthquake at the crucifixion. There was also an earthquake at the resurrection. This was no ordinary event. We see that the angel rolled back the stone and sat on it. The door of the tomb was shut and sealed by the Jews. There were also guards, remember? And as we see in verse 4, they trembled and became like dead men. They were fearful of this angelic being or these angelic beings because in other gospel accounts, there were two, not one. Verse 3, as we look at the details, says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The dazzling apparel of the angel confirms that he dwelt in unapproachable light. He had been with the ancient of days and so he appeared to them and showed them his glory. 
This was extraordinary and supernatural. Something that will never happen again. Something that no human mind can conceive or conjure up. Only God can do this. What is the application of these details? First of all, I want you to apply, dear friends, that the resurrection was sovereignly appointed. Sovereignly appointed. Only God can do this. Secondly, it was supernaturally magnificent. It was, it will blow your mind. It is much more grand than the Grand Canyon. Much more grand than the Victoria Falls. Whatever you behold and say, this is the most amazing thing, pales when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. Many people talk about the death, the death of Christ, the death of Christ. They never talk about the resurrection. They never talk about Christ resurrecting from the dead. Number three, it surpasses human logic and reason. Dear friends, the resurrection of Christ is not to be rationalized or reasoned with. It is to be believed. You cannot conceptualize it. When you go evangelizing, you meet these people and they try to rationalize and reason. But Paul says, you are foolish if you think that this can be gained by human wisdom. You are foolish. Supernatural surpasses human logic and reason. I want us to see secondly from verses 5 to 7 the doctrinal emphasis. The doctrinal emphasis of the resurrection. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Friends, it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that there is a doctrinal emphasis on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Matthew narrates in this remarkable portion of scripture, he, he captures precious truths of the angel speaking to the women. We note first that the resurrection, for the resurrection to take place, firstly, there must be a crucifixion. Verse 5. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And this is, not, this is not just an ordinary crucifixion. Otherwise, it would mean that the death of the two thieves or any other person would be sufficient for salvation. Rather, the particular person who was crucified whose death is sufficient, is the God-man. Jesus 
Christ of Nazareth. There is no one else. So even as the angel was building a, 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 a body of theology, systematic theology, narrating to the women, he says, you're looking for the Jesus who was crucified. So there's the crucifixion there. The doctrine that Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died. If you're a Christian, you must surely believe in his death. You must surely embrace his death. You must surely identify with his death. But I want us to see the cheekiness of the angel because he was saying, do you, do you seek the savior whom you saw dying helplessly on the cross? Do you seek the one who said he would raise himself? He has risen. Come, see where he lay. He's not here. Verse 6. Even as the angel builds his doctrine, his doctrinal statement and doctrinal emphasis, this theology, he highlights the resurrection. So first is the crucifixion. Verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. There is the resurrection. And the doctrine of the resurrection furthermore flows from the crucifixion. It is fundamental to the Christian faith. And as as I said earlier on, it is the centerpiece of the gospel. It is a prerequisite for salvation. That's a very uh, controversial take. The resurrection is required. It's, it's part of the package of salvation. You know, when we go and evangelize, you know, we tell people, believe in Christ today. He died for your sins. But we starve them of the fundamental truth. That not only did he die, he was resurrected. For your justification. Because if we just say he died, people say, so, so what? You know, he died. What does that mean? It's an anemic presentation of the gospel. It lacks the centerpiece. And if you think I'm lying, look at Romans 10.9 with me. Romans 10.9. And I won't spend much time there. course we need to be Bereans Romans 10 9 I'll read from verse 8 but what does it say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved (laughs) the resurrection is not peripheral it is primary it is not abstract it is absolute 
few confess with your mouth proclaim I am a Christian I believe in Jesus and you believe in the depths of your heart this is something that God in his sovereignty in his sovereign will does in an individual's heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved because because this is a supernatural work is not something that you yourself begin to believe in alone by your willpower but God does it through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and he continues to build that faith because we struggle with assurance struggle with sin struggle with doubt struggle with all sorts of things in this life but I want I want us to visit revisit verse 6 again and highlight another doctrinal emphasis when I look at the phrase as he said so the angel is narrating what has happened to Jesus and he's telling the women as he said this is like a prophetic confirmation to say Jesus Christ long prophesied about his death about his resurrection and this is what happened Mark 8 verse 31 the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribe and be killed and after three days rise again Jesus was true to himself to the father to the mission and also proved that he, he could not lie he was sinless perfect not like us who are double-minded who are liars see that two different two separate witnesses testify in two different ways to Jesus statement during his lifetime that his enemies were to be destroyed sorry that if his enemies destroyed the temple his body he would build it again in 3 days John 2:19 Mark 14:58 and he also spoke about the sign of Jonah where he said he would be in the he would be in the heart of the earth 3 days Matthew 12:9 no, sorry, Matthew 12, 39 and Matthew 16, 4. But let's look at the latter part of verse 7 about the angel after having told the woman what was their reaction. What is the reaction when we understand the doctrine of the resurrection? Or the doctrines of God as presented in this, in this passage listen to this then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him see I have told you so verse 8 also captures that so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples friends 
when you behold the truths of God's word, you can't help but want to share with everyone that this is the Christ. He's the one who is risen. It's a treasure. We should treasure sharing the gospel. We should treasure setting aside time to evangelize to people in our lives. Sometimes we are, we, we are so afraid, we've got pride in our hearts. Sometimes like, oh, no, no, this is my mother, I respect her, so I cannot tell her about Christ. Well, your respect will send her to hell. Your, your, your fear would send her to hell. If you don't preach the gospel to her, you are denying her the, the, the only truth that can save her from eternal damnation and save her unto life eternal with God. We don't think about it that way. We think, well, you know, I've got tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. Procrastination. Pro, uh, there's this procrastination, there's prolonging. There's people who say, well, you know, postponing, you postpone. Ah, no, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to these people next time. Your very life is demanded of you tonight. You don't know how long you have. These women were excited. They had learned something from the angels. Theology proper. What does the resurrection mean to the believer? I want to spend some time in this for a bit. Because we need to, before we move on to the next portion, after these women had been told, my thinking is that they had not actually understood what was happening or what the angel was saying. So A, it means that the believer's faith in Christ is justified in that he died and rose again. This is the uniqueness of Christianity, dear friends. Is that our Savior is alive and is at the right hand of God making unceasing intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is able to save forever. Highlight forever. Those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercessions for them. And Psalm 110 verse 1. And Hebrews 1 verse 13 says, Also, he is making his enemies a footstool for his feet. He's destroying the strongholds. He crushed the serpent's head at the cross. And when he rose again, that was validation of who he is. Number two, what does it mean for the believer? It gives the believer assurance of Christ's return. But B, let us turn quickly, turn quickly to First Thessalonians. 
First Thessalonians, a text that is usually preached at, uh, at funerals. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. I'll just read very quickly. But I want, I want you to see what, what is being said here. Because Christ's resurrection gives the believer assurance of Christ's return. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You will come back. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the Lord, uh, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When was the last time when your brother or sister said, I'm struggling? And you encourage them and say, listen, the Lord will come. <laughs> Sometimes we just want to fix the problem there the no, this is your problem. And you try to, you know, mechanically unscrew. Okay, you know, you need to pray. You need to break down strongholds. You need to do this. But when was the last time you said, okay, Christ will return. Because he, he was resurrected. He will return. All these things will come to an end. See, it gives the believer assurance of victory of the uh, over the penalty of sin. Over the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. The worker of iniquity must die. The worker of iniquity will die. The worker of iniquity should die. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The penalty of death was overcome by Christ. Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ's death saves us, saves us from the power and the presence of sin. And his resurrection, the penalty of sin. Can I challenge you? Are you really afraid to die? <laughs> do you fear death? What do you fear about death? What is it about death? Is it, is it the, 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 the view of the lifeless body in the coffin as people are mourning over the corpse that scares you? Is it the fear of the unknown realm to say, no, no, actually you do believe that there is the other side, but you are not really assured 
forward of where you go. You don't know. You are not assured. Therefore, you don't want to die. <laughs> you, you scarcely think about death. Because you say, this life, you know, is too nice. This is, listen to this commentary. It says, death is the enemy of mankind. And the just punishment for our sin is death. The mortality rate is and always will be 100%. <laughs> no amount of effort, medical technology, power of riches can escape the clutches of death. You will die. <laughs> Be ready. All I can say, dear friends, we must all be ready. And I'm preaching to myself here. Don't think I'm just okay, well, this pastor is blasting us. I'm blasting myself as well. Think and tremble. That's obviously that that hymn. Think and tremble. Death is now upon the road. We can enter death with full assurance that we will be resurrected again. This this energizes me to say, Oh Lord, you know. I want to experience this. I want to. This is what your word says. I want to. I want to experience this. We can enter death with few, full assurance that we will be resurrected again, acknowledged and acquitted. Christians should not be afraid to die because our Savior went through it and rose again. John 11, 25 to 26, when Jesus is speaking to the women as they met him, I can almost see the picture. As they met him, mourning Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. <laughs> Do you believe this? So he says, in two verses, he preached the whole gospel to me. He who believes in me, in me, believes in me. Yet shall he, though he may die, yet shall he. Though you depart and we bury your body, we have assurance from the scriptures that you are with the Lord. This is our hope. We hold on to this. To the Christian, I would say, get up from your sin. <laughs> You have been raised with Christ for life eternal. It, it, the Christ's resurrection also helps with sin. If you're struggling with uh, sexual immorality or theft or, 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 or whatever it is as a Christian, 
Meditate on the resurrection. What are the implications that Christ has been raised? Means that as poets, Paul expounds the union with Christ of a believer. He goes on to say, you, since you have been baptized with him, you also be raised with him. So when Christ was being raised from the dead, it's like the believer was, was raised with him. So rise up from your sin. Let it go by the power of the Holy Spirit. On the flip side of the coin, dear friends, non-believers have every reason to fear death. They must fear it. In fact, if we had the power, we would say, God, don't kill them now. Don't take them now. Because what awaits them is eternal torment. It is, it is eternal damnation. It is not something to be trifled with. It's not something to joke about. It's not something to be lackadaisical about. It's real hellfire for eternity. They have no hope. They have no resurrected savior. This is why they are afraid, afraid of death. They have nothing to hold on to. If you die, you are dead. You are gone. You're not coming back. All their gods are deaf. All their gods are dumb. All their gods are mute and dead. Muhammad died. He stayed dead. Confucius died. Still is. Buddha is dead. He still is. Mbuya Neanda. Lope Mula. Mziligas. Kagui. The only thing that remains are street names and townships. But they're dead. They're, they're, they're dead. Back to our text as we finish off verses 8 to 10, how it was documented the resurrection of Christ. We look at the details, we look at the doctrinal emphasis. Now we look at the documentation so much, the consolidation uh, uh, of it. Verse 8 to 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met and said, met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to go to Galilee and there you will see me I would like to quote John Calvin on verse 8 of they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy by these words Matthew means that they were indeed gladdened by what the angel told them but at the same time, they were struck with fear. So that they were held in suspense between joy and perplexity. For there are sometimes opposite feelings in the hearts of the godly, which move them alternately in opposite directions. Until at length the peace of the Spirit brings them into a settled condition. <laughs> they... 
they had seen, it's as if they had seen a zombie, a real life one. They went and they met Jesus, our Lord. And he said to them, greetings. <laughs> Hi. I am here. How are you? It is I. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. One commentator, John Gill, says they threw themselves prostrate at his feet in token of reverence and humility. And they laid hold on his feet. Remember, these were the women who saw Jesus, who watched him live his life and his ministry. But now they, 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 they saw a fuller picture of who he is and therefore they could not help but hold his feet. They bowed down. <laughs> if God shows us who he is, dear friends, we bow down. We bow down. Be sure that he was sorry, and they laid hold on his feet that they might know and be assured that he was really risen and that it was not a spirit or a mere phantom and an appearance. And they held him in affection to him and as desirous of his countenance with them. Not only did they hold his feet, they worshipped him. The time is coming when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. With divine adoration, expressing their love to him, their faith and hope in him, owing him to be their Lord and God. He by being his resurrection, sorry, he, he, he being by his resurrection from the dead, declared to be the son of God with power. And so the proper object of religious worship. Oh, I love these old Baptists. This is the proper object. This corrects all our mysticism in Africa. This corrects all these mapostories who their main object is not Christ. It is self. It is spirits. It is demons. It is not Christ. Verse 10. As we see the documentation do not be afraid. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. What a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> this is God. He did not take equality with God as something to be grasped, but being found in the form of a man. Huh? Because he took upon flesh. He humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. And now we see the humility of Christ. They are worshipping him. He says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Jesus was always on a mission, huh? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. Where they will see me. And this is where he gave them the great commission. On the mountain to which Jesus had directed them to. 
friends. Only Jesus was able to come out of death unscathed. Remember I gave you a story in the beginning to say no one has ever come back to life even through those cement uh, filled graves with a tombstone on it. You can't come out. But Christ came out. Believe on him. If you look to yourself as your source of salvation, you are damned. You need Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. And you, if you have sins that you're battling with, take them where they can be sorted out. This is not a, a medical doctor. <laughs> this is not a nanga. This is Christ. He defeated the devil on the cross, defeated sin, defeated death, and then in the resurrection, he rose again. And that the whisperings of Satan are futile. Satan has been defeated. He's like a, a toothless dog. But of course, not to be trifled. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let us pray. Oh, oh God. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. May you do a work of faith in our hearts. Even as Paul said, I'll preach until Christ is formed in the hearts of my people. Help us to look only to Christ and live, resting in the finished works of Christ and the resurrection and not our own works and our own, not our own circumstances and not even our own sin. For it is written, neither height nor death nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Not even ourselves can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus if we have truly believed. Thank you for the resurrection. We are free. We can look the death in the eye and say, Come and get me. This I pray in Jesus' name.